Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix violence, nudity, James Woods, and a TV signal? Why, you get the film Videodrome. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And, <laughs> well, have we got a doozy this week. Um, it's This is such an odd thing, and I'm going to say this right off the bat before we even begin. If you have never seen this film before, you are maybe interested in seeing it, stop the podcast right here, go watch it, and then come back and explore this. Because Videodrome is one of those films... I feel that it's so visual in some aspects that you really need to see that first. Now, I'm not saying that every part of it. In fact, I think this is probably, in my opinion, one of Cronenberg's least kind of body modification visual type of films. Um, I mean, I kind of look more towards the fly in terms of what I like or even scanners. Um, but this one, while it does have that aspect to it, it's not really a main focus or not as grandiose as some of his other films are. So, and Cronenberg really kind of got, I don't want to say got out of the horror game, but it seems like he's kind of gone away from this in the past, like, I don't know, 15 years or so, 10 to 15 years. Uh, and he still makes some great, great films. But this is kind of the, I don't know, I feel like it's the jumping point where he goes away from like what he had been doing with all these films to what he's kind of doing now where there's a lot more focus. It doesn't mean that the violence in some of his later films is not really grandiose, but it's not what it is here. Like, and even in some of the other, especially like The Fly, man, I don't know. The remake, his version of The Fly is one of the most disgusting versions of a film I think I've ever seen. Um, it's close to being like The Thing, right? When you take John Carpenter's The Thing compared to uh, the original, it's a completely different type of film and different feeling type of film, and they're both fantastic, and maybe I'll eventually talk about those one these days. Um, but when it comes to, to this, it seems like after this, it's not... I don't know. Maybe, maybe just because... 
that's the way that I see it. Um, and I could be totally wrong. And of course, it's always opinion. So who really gives a care? Because <laughs> it's my opinion. But this film is something that you do need to see, I think, to really understand a lot of what's going on. Because there's a lot of scenes in it where you're just kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why are we seeing this? Why is he doing what I think he's doing? Um, I just don't get it. Uh, and it's entertaining in that aspect. But this is possibly not everybody's favorite film in the world. And I totally get that. And there are people that absolutely love this film. And then there's people that are absolutely in the middle. And there's people that absolutely hate this film. So I want you to come up with your own opinion first. Now, Ben, who is the one that suggested this film for me, I know he's in the camp of loving this film. Uh, I don't know when the last time Ben's seen it. Um, it's been a while for me. I think I saw this back in, I want to say like somewhere around maybe 2006, 2007 was the last time I saw it. So it's been a good 10 years since I've seen this film. And the first time I saw it was actually for a college class. I was taking some uh, literature class that was doing horror as a medium, right? Which was really cool. And it was ta- I got to see all these really cool horror films. And basically, he was trying to say that horror was like this truth in cinema and in literature. That you're not afraid to say what you want to say when you say it in horror. Because it's always kind of mixed by this guise of, hey... This is really disturbing, and here's all these... But it's fantasy horror, right? It's not an actual reality. It's not like you're watching a, you know, a racial biography where, you know... His best example in one of the films that we watched was Night of the Living Dead. And what George A. Romero was able to do in the, you know, similarities he was able to make with race relations at the time by having a black main character and the things that went down with him while the zombie apocalypse was going on. So somebody could go see the movie and just don't doesn't even think about that right or you could see it and you could see the message that Romero was trying to portray in that film and it was very interesting we saw a bunch of films and Videodrome just happened to be one of them one of them was also The Mask and I don't know why we had to see that movie because oh god um but eventually I'm I'm telling you now Jim Carrey's gonna pop up on this podcast at least once uh <laughs> at some point in time I have some ideas uh but it's just, it was one of those films that I think I was so amazed by it the first time I saw it because it was like nothing that I had seen before. And I had seen The Fly, and I didn't really put a whole lot into, oh, Cronenberg, right? And then I kind of went on a little bit of a, you know, oh, I need to see more of his films, and you go from there. Uh, but Videodrome, it has a lot of interesting themes and concepts to it. Uh, but is it the execution that's poor? Is it the actors that are poor? What is it that makes it the film that it is such a decisive film that it is? So that's why I, again, it's a long way of me saying that you guys need to watch this before you listen to the rest of the podcast. If you've never seen it before, if you have seen it before and you have an opinion about it, um, maybe I'm going to change your opinion one way or another, but we're going to go through it. We're going to talk about this film. We're going to get down to the nitty-gritty of what we can, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy the way everything turns out. Now, this is also going to be one of the podcasts where I have some of the longest clips. I think I've, I've said this before, but I truly think that some of these clips are truly long, and it really has to do with context. And 
it's hard to break some of these up. I don't want to break them up into a bunch of little clips. I've kind of wanted to get away from that type of thing. The way that I kind of believe now with this podcast, I'd rather give you the full thing, and even if there's a little bit of music or something in there, so at least you can get the full context rather than breaking it down and starting it over again and doing those type of things. Not to say that I didn't try to break up some of the bigger ones, uh, because I'm not going to play a 10-minute scene for you. I'll, I'll break those ones down. But if it goes for two minutes or more, I'm kind of now in the mode that, like, look, I'd rather do this for you. Now, what I did do is I did try to truncate some of those scenes. So there might be weird kind of jumps or bumps, or if you were watching the film, maybe there's a long pause in it or something like that that adds effect to it. You're not going to get that here because I don't want you to also listen to 10 seconds of silence when I can shorten this clip from 2 minutes and 40 seconds down to a minute and 50 seconds because there's so many weird little pauses just for effect. I just want you to get the context of the scene, and I want you to get the dialogue that's going on with the scene. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and let's just jump right into the film, and let's meet our wake-up call to Max. Civic TV, the one you take to bed with you. Max, it's that time again. Time to slowly, painfully ease yourself back into consciousness. No, I'm not a dream. Although I've been told I'm a vision of loveliness. I'm nothing less than your faithful girl Friday, Bridie James, here with your wake-up call of today, which is Wednesday the 23rd. You got that? Wednesday the 23rd. And I have a message. Remember your meeting this morning at 6.30 with Shinji Kiraki of Hiroshima Video. This meeting is to take place at the Classic Hotel, Suite 17. And needless to say, it's your first of the day. Don't you know anyone who works nine to five? Over and out, Commander. From here, we meet Max. And see, he has like a wake-up video cassette every day that his assistant gives to him. And we'll talk a little more about that later. But who is Max? Max is the runner of a UHF... Wait. Is this where Weird Al got the idea for UHF? Like, no, 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 no. There's no way. No, it's completely different. Anyway, so Max is played by James Woods, and he's here sleeping on the couch. But he owns a UHS station called Civic TV, and this is all based in Toronto, okay? That's one of the first things I think that kind of amazed me about the film. I don't know why it amazed me about the film. I totally forgot that this was based in fucking Canada, and it wasn't something that was happening here in the U.S., especially when you've got master of acting here, James Woods. Uh, okay, I have a love-hate relationship with this guy. Like, there are some films that I think that he's really great in. I think he's fantastic as the voice of Hades and Hercules, but... There's also a way of James Woods acting that I cannot stand. And luckily in this film, he doesn't necessarily get into it completely. He gets into it in moments, but it's enough where I can kind of stomach what's kind of going on uh, with James Woods. Early James Woods, I think, is very entertaining. Late James Woods, <laughs> outside of being the voice of Hades, I'm kind of like, oh, let's just leave him alone and get out of the... Anyway... So he happens to be wearing the loudest wristwatch in the world, which is just like ticking, tick, tick, tick. Like, I expect that from a clock, but it's literally focused on his wrist and the wristwatch he's wearing. And I don't know anybody that has a watch that's that fucking loud, okay? So he gets up, 
And he goes for his meeting with some Japanese businessmen. See, the UHF station that he runs, it basically runs a mixture of, like, softcore porn. I mean, the first thing that you see after he wakes up is he's looking at images of somebody's boobs. Like, it's straight there, and the shot is there on it for quite some time. I believe it's at least five or six seconds, which in terms of a film is quite a bit. And then he flips over and he sees that she's having sex with somebody, and then he just, like, okay, I'm done. Like, you focus all the time on the boobs, which I appreciate, but you like go over and you see the image of her getting like railed and you're just like, oh, okay, well, I don't need to see that. I just need to see this. And that's kind of what he's using to study before he meets the Japanese businessman that he's going to meet that morning based on what we heard in the video that was being played as the movie started. And you have to kind of pay attention. You don't really, this is again, this is why I'm saying that like you should have seen this film before we got into it because there's a big correlation of what's going on here and the message that we're going to get later on in the film. But the fact that we're opening the film already to somebody kind of greeting you as Max, um, even though we know we're talking about a character and we're talking about James Woods's character, uh, at first it really seems like she's talking directly towards you because the whole focus is directly on the TV and the screen is completely filled by the image of her talking to Max. And it's kind of those waves of uh, <laughs> television radiation that we're getting right off the beginning. Or the fact that Max already lives his whole life with the TV in mind and with the video in mind. So it's something to think about. You might not think about it right away. It's really odd when you first see it. But as you watch the rest of the movie, it makes sense why we open the film this way. So from here, we follow Max off to his next destination, which is meeting with the Japanese businessman. Well... I looked over the stills. I am interested. A little bit. How many shows you got? Thirteen, with the possibility of another six if the sales go well. You got cassettes? Of course. <laughs> now, hold it. Uh, show me the last one. Okay, Maza. Number thirteen. Max, you won't understand anything. Everything is set up in the first two. My audience ain't going to see the first two shows. Now show me the last one. So basically, all he's going to show them is the softcore porn episode because... <laughs> okay, so she, he's, they start watching this video, okay? And honestly, yes, the softcore porn episode. And it is the person from the image that we saw. We see Geisha get up and then she goes over and she starts undressing something. And it's like a fucking wooden dildo. Like, that's the whole scene, is like her pleasuring herself, and that's what he's the most interested in. And see, we see him actually showing them to his other business partners over at Civic TV. And, of course, you know, they have to figure out whether or not they're actually going to be showing this thing. What do you think? Can we get away with it? Do we want to get away with it? I think oriental sex is a natural. I think it'll get us an audience we've never had before. I don't like it. Not tacking. Not tacking up for what? Tacking up to turn me on. Too much class, bad for sex. Maybe. I don't know. It's soft. Something too soft about it. I'm looking for something that'll break through, you know, something. Okay, too classy? Like, she's hiding a wooden fucking dildo in, like, plain sight while it's wearing, like, geisha robes of her own. 
Like, how is that classy? I guess maybe because of the music and the setting, and then it's like, oh, she's poor geisha girl, and this is the only way that she can find pleasure is by using this wooden dildo that she hides from everybody else, and I, it's not fucking classy. Like, what do you want? You want her to be, like, fucking, like, ravaged? Are we, like, looking for hentai here? Like, you're expecting, like, tentacles to, like, fucking pop out of the dildo and start, like, infecting every whole... Oh, Cronenberg, please, 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 don't. Don't take that idea. Let's let's just keep moving on with the film. So, you even get it kind of from Max here. Like, even he's looking. He wants that next thing. He wants that... Something that can grab the attention of something. Like, he's bored of, like, vanilla sex, right? And he just wants to go to that next level of what more can I do? This is like when you find people that have, like, done horrible things to themselves and have died doing things to themselves, like autoerotic asphyxiation or some shit like that, where, like, you can't just have regular sex. You have to go even further than that. And that's the way he is with this, like, here, look, we have a UHF station, which... Yeah, okay, back in the day, if you even know what UHF is, you had two different signals, and UHF was kind of like the underdog, honestly. <laughs> and then I made no, kind of made the joke earlier with Weird Al, but literally go and watch UHF. Like, you'll kind of get a better understanding, but it's truly like, they're those stations that weren't the regular broadcast station, that they were very independent, so they had to get a bunch of these random shows to show, because you're everyday modern programming didn't want to put them on a regular uh, or a UHF station, right? So they kind of did weird things. Uh, we had one around here, and we still kind of do. It's not a UHF station, but it kind of lives by that, and that's Coffee TV 20 here in the Bay Area. Um, they used to be a UHF station, and then uh, they were really popular, and they went to the standard signal, but they're not, like, they were bought by the WB for a little while, but they're back to being kind of independent. They're not really connected to any station at all, and they just kind of do what they want, and they're able to survive around here. And that's kind of what this guy is, what Civic TV is for Max, right? Except for he shows a lot of softcore pornography and a bunch of other rather fucked up shit. So... He wants to find the next best thing, the thing that's going to really drive people. So he goes and visits, uh, well, basically his pirate friend here. See, they have a, like a satellite that is kind of illegal. Uh, <laughs> well, very illegal because basically he's able to pirate signals around the world so that they can watch different shows. They can steal those shows, record them. And then put them on their own TV station. And of course, the pirate that's in charge of it is Harlan. And Harlan has something brand new to show to Max. Here we go. I'll come through on that. We only got about 53 seconds, so keep your eyes open. They've got an unscrambler scrambler, if you know what I mean. It sensed that we were unscrambling, and... Uh, Automatically changed its code on us. What satellite is it coming from? Snooker, I think. Country of origin? Uh, let me see. Uh, assuming 53 seconds represents the period of delay, I'd say somewhere uh, in Malaysia. Okay, here we go. Okay, I'm really fucking impressed here. They have a satellite that can reach signals all the way from Malaysia. Like, that's pretty goddamn amazing that in this day and age, it only takes 53 seconds for them to steal a signal and bring it back to wherever he's at. 
So he shows him what was on the signal, and it happens to be basically a snuff film. You're watching some lady, she's getting tortured, and as you're watching it, you're seeing Max really get into what it is. He wants to learn more about it, and he wants to get more of it. So Harlan asks if he's interested in it, and of course he kind of gives him like a sly nod of yes, and he makes a mention of this like sign that's hanging up and says, hey, change the signs because we're a clandestine location. Basically, hide the fact that we're pirating the ship because it's fucking illegal, and he kind of like, Harlan starts chewing the paper up. And then from here, we cut over onto Max's appearance on the Rena King show. Now, this is one of those longer clips that are going to be filtered throughout this episode, but I didn't really want to cut it up, like I said before. So we're going to be introduced to Nikki and also Brian Oblivion, who, you know, I'm sick and tired of these movies really giving Brian's a bad fucking name, because... Honestly, his appearance here is really fucking weird. Uh, well, I mean, just listen to the whole show. And now, here it is, the Rita King Show. And this afternoon, Rita's guests are Max Wren, controversial president of Channel 83, radio personality Nikki Brand, and media prophet Professor Brian Oblivion. Take it away, Rena. Max Wren. Your television station offers its viewers everything from softcore pornography to hardcore violence. Why? Well, it's a matter of economics, Rena. We're uh, small. In order to survive, we have to give people something they can't get anywhere else. And, uh, and we do that. But don't you feel such shows contribute to a social climate of violence and sexual malaise? And do you care? Certainly I care. <laughs> I care enough, in fact, to give my viewers uh, a harmless outlet for their, their fantasies and their frustrations. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a socially positive act. What about it, Nikki? Is it socially positive? Well, I think we live in overstimulated times. We crave stimulation for its own sake. We gorge ourselves on it. We always want more, whether it's tactile, emotional, or sexual. And I think that's bad. <laughs> then why did you wear that dress? Sorry? That dress. It's very stimulating. And it's red. You know what Freud would have said about that dress. And he would have been right. I admit it. I live in a highly excited state of overstimulation. Listen, I'd really like to take you off to dinner tonight. Professor Oblivion. What do you think? Do you think erotic TV shows and violent TV shows lead to desensitization, to dehumanization? Is the microphone? The television screen has become the retina of the mind's eye. Yes. That's why I refuse to appear on television, except on television. Of course, Oblivion is not the name I was born with. That's my television name. Soon, all of us will have special names. Names designed to cause the cathode ray tube to resonate. Yes, I am, actually. I am. Yes. yes, I am very Nikki, is Max Wren a menace to society? I'm not sure. He's certainly a menace to me. Okay, so what a fucking G move that he pulled there to start hitting on her right while they're on TV together. Now, this, of course, is a sign of the times. You wouldn't necessarily see this in a movie nowadays. Uh, but watching this scene, I was just like, God damn, like he automatically just jumps right into it because she's trying to give that type of angle where it's like, look, 
we don't necessarily, this is all causing the issues in society, causing our society to go down, blah, 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 blah. And his automatic response is, well, hey, look, you're wearing a provocative dress. If you really believe in this shit, why would you wear that dress? Why wouldn't you wear something more, like, you know, refined or something that really isn't, isn't going to stimulate the mind of the male personality or the person that's attracted to you, right? And instead, like, he turns around from that and he's just like, man, because that's really fucking making me hot, so how about we go out to dinner? And you can't quite make out everything that they're saying the entire time that Brian Oblivion is talking, but that guy is a weird fucking dude because all you see on the, well, on the TV screen, see, it's really weird because you're watching this through the TV lens and then you're watching him on a TV. So there is this weird filter in front of it. When you're kind of watching him, right? Because it's like you're watching a screen behind a screen. You don't really get that when you're watching everybody else there. It doesn't feel that way, at least. And I think that's a purposely done thing, um, just to give some emphasis on his character, because he won't appear on TV as normal, because he believes that the TV is like a, a healing type of mechanism, too. It's very odd when you first see this film. But at the same time, the idea that the television screen has become the retina of the mind's eye, like... First of all, it's kind of like, what the fuck does that even mean? But it's just the influence that the TV screen has kind of on us and what we see in today, right? The, the, you can take a lot of the themes that are in this movie and you can actually apply it to current day events and the way the just media works in general. So the idea that whatever we see on the television screen is kind of what we're always experiencing, right? And what we believe in more. It's just like whatever outlets that you use to find your news. If you're going to be putting yourself into one little small corner or this is what you're truly interested, that's all you're really going to focus on. And that's kind of the way that I take it. It could be taken many different ways, but the way that I kind of view that specific idea is that what you see there on the television screen, um, it kind of affects the, the way that you're going to have your outlook on life. So if you're constantly watching, you know, perversion and violence, it's going to distort you in a certain way. Or if you're watching something that's going to possibly heal you, maybe it could do better for you. At least that's my interpretation of what I think he believes. But I could be totally full of shit and totally wrong, so who knows? So from here we go back over and we see that Max is meeting again with Harlem and they're discussing more of the videos that he's seeing, the snuff films that he's watching. And Harlem explains a little more of where it's coming from and I believe what he calls it. When does the plot uh, start to unravel here? I mean, who is this black guy? Is he a political prisoner? There's no plot. It just goes on like that for an hour. It goes on like what? Like that. Torture... Murder, mutilation. We never leave that room. No. It's a real sicko. Brilliant. For perverts only. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, look, there's almost no production costs. You can't take your eyes off it. It's it's incredibly realistic. Where do they get actors who can do this? Oh, help me. I think he wants it. Come on. It's worth checking out. Do you have any trouble locking onto it this time? Not after I realized the Malaysia delay was a plant. It's not coming from Malaysia? <laughs> you cannot fool the Prince of Pirates for long. Har Harlan, where is it coming from? Pittsburgh. That's in the USA. Pittsburgh. 
So, wait, you're telling me that this is all generating from fucking Pittsburgh? I've been to Pittsburgh before. Pittsburgh was really fucking nice. Now, I don't doubt that something like this probably hasn't gone on somewhere in the USA before. I mean, everybody's seen all those old, like, fake snuff films, not the real... If you've seen a real snuff film, I don't want to fucking know about it. But we've all seen, like, Faces of Death and shit like that, right? You know, where all that stuff is absolutely fake. And that's kind of what Max is believing this to be. But honestly... It doesn't really look fake. The fact that it's coming over on a weird broadcast signal, that it's hiding itself. Come on, man. You gotta know that there's something fucking real about this. Yet it interests him so much. Like, you can see the glimmer of, like, satisfaction in his eyes. Because, hey, just like he was talking about earlier, he's looking for something that's, like, out of this world that's gonna grab the people. Not just the base shit that you've been seeing. Not just that softcore porn that you see in different places. No. He wants something that feels real, that's authentic, that can boost his ratings. And here it is in a, what he believes to be a fake snuff piece that obviously looks fucking real. So he, instructs Harlan, hey, you're gonna have to find more of this for me. And then he goes over to Nikki's studio where she is absolutely batshit crazy. I mean, she's dressed in some type of, like, 80s leotard, like, workout suit. You remember back in the days, okay, maybe you don't. Maybe you're too young to know about this crap, and then this shows my age. But back in the 80s, when, like, they had workout videos and stuff, they always wore these, like, ridiculous, like, they had the headband, the sweatband, and these ridiculous, like, half sweaters, and uh, all the other workout gear, like... <laughs> It was terrible, okay? I don't know what that fashion choice was, but it was absolutely ugly, and I'm totally glad that it's gone. But here she is in her radio studio giving self-help to somebody, but yet she's, like, working out at the same time? Like, she's getting herself worked up over the desk because she's trying to help this person out? It's really fucking weird. And he's, of course, there to pick her up to go on the date that he set up with her. So he manages, I guess, to go out on the date. We don't actually get to see the date, but we do get to experience them both back at his apartment and her first weird request. Got any porno? You serious? Yeah. Gets me in the mood. What's this? Videodrome. Torture, murder. <laughs> Sounds great. Ain't exactly sex. Says who? God, I can't believe it. I'll turn it off. No, 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 it's okay. I can take it. Can you get it any clearer? It's a pirate tape. They scramble it. I like it. Yeah? Yeah, it turns me on. Take out your Swiss army knife and cut me here just just a little. Looks like somebody's beat me to it. I wonder how you get to be a contestant on this show. I don't know. Nobody ever seems to come back next week. <laughs> Wait, what did you say happened to your shoulder? A friend, I think he'd like Videodrome. You let somebody cut you? Uh-huh. What do you think? Well, I don't know. 
Okay, she is a fucking freak. I don't care where you put it or how you put it. Like, come on. This is what I talked about earlier. Like, and again, it seems like even in his life, this is something brand new for Max and something very exciting to like actually have some type of sadomasochistic control over Nikki. And it's very odd that she's all of a sudden able to fucking get off on the fact you're watching somebody get fucking whipped on TV. I mean, this poor lady is there just butt naked, like getting flogged like hell. And she's just getting fucking turned on every second to the point that she's like, cut me. And he's like, what? I love his response. You, you let somebody cut you? Like, it's absolutely perfect. I don't know why it makes me laugh so much, and just the way that he delivers the line, it's fucking great. But you see on her arm that she's got a bunch of fucking cut marks, and they're kind of all in a row, but she really enjoys this, like, pain-for-pleasure type of, like, experience. And so they go into one of the most unsexy fucking sex scenes Partially because I have to look at James Woods' ass. And I don't want to look at James Woods' ass. I never want to see James Woods naked in another film. Don't, please, don't send me DMs. Don't try to link me to things. I don't want to see a naked James Woods ever fucking again. Videodrome is fucking enough. Okay, and I swear to God, Tommy Wiseau must have learned how to have sex in film from James Woods. Because he's obviously got his dick at her fucking navel in this scene, okay? When they actually do start kind of going at it. In the beginning, they're just kind of spooning. She's there. He's taking, like, a pin and piercing her ears. Like, you know, it looks like he maybe worked at Claire's for a really long time because he knows exactly what he needs to do to get the right type of piercing into her ears. And she's totally getting turned on by this shit. And again, why? And then when they start having sex, like, or start initiating sex, one, it gets weird because it turns into the Videodrome room, the orange room that you see, and just the black stuff, like, he's imagining that this is where they're doing it, so it's even turning him on more. And at the other time, it's like, um, you're fucking her belly button, dude. You're not actually having sex with her, but it's fine, because you know what? I don't have to see any more of James Woods' ass than I need to, and I really don't see to see any more in this film. There's also, like, this weird, like, licking thing that Nikki does when, like, right before they start, like, truly getting into it. That's just really awkward. Like, it's meant to be, like, sensual and kind of erotic. But also, I know that it's not necessarily meant to be, like, pleasing to the viewer, at least the start of it. Like, you can be, like, disturbed by what they're doing. But maybe you could kind of get into it. But when it changes into the video drum room, and they're still kind of being, like you know, trying to be sensual and it doesn't quite work because you know what that room was used for before. So it's, it's odd. I know it's not meant to be one way, but I could see where somebody might be like, oh yeah, this is fucking hot. Or maybe you're just that into James Woods's ass and that's what you fucking want to see. From here we go to the next morning, we see that Max is back in the office and he's meeting with somebody named Marsha. And before he goes in, he goes and grabs some random woman's ass, which again, it's a sign of the times for the movie. Uh, but if you saw that today, it'd be like, what? It was a little jarring for me, to be honest with you, because you're always like, like, 
hey, you know, you've got that female co-worker of yours. You shouldn't really just be going around grabbing her ass. Where back in the day when you had a leader of a company, it probably was doing that type of bullshit to the female employees that were around. So he goes and he meets Marsha and she starts showing him this video that, and it's not video drum, okay? It's like some weird, like, Greek erotic thing that is really fucking boring to Max. Marsha, does it ever get good? It's all good. Darling, I am looking for something a lot more contemporary. I want something that's going to show people what's really going on under the sheets. This stuff is too... It's too naive. It's too sweet. Like you, darling. It's your market. Do you know a show called Videodrome? Video what? D-R-O-M-E. Videodrome. Like uh, video circus, video arena. You know it? No. It's just torture and murder. No plot, no characters. Very, very realistic. I think it's what's next. Then God help us. They're on TV, they're on the street. Excuse me? Arnold, on line three. You interested in uh, tracking it down for me? I'll see that you get the agent's commission. I'm interested. Let me try. Max, did you ever think of producing your own show right here? I could be your agent worldwide. I could sell subterranean for you everywhere. No, I don't have the temperament. But if you did, what kind of show would you do? I mean, for the subterranean market, would you do video drone? Okay, Max, you should never have your own show because I don't, again, I don't need to see your ass ever fucking again. But honestly, it's kind of weird that he kind of gets into this. Once he's seen Videodrome, that he just is so obsessed with finding out more and more about it because he really wants to have this like experience. He feels like it's the next big thing that you bring this to the masses. But who's to say that the masses want this like type of violence that you get there? It's and he still believes it's fucking fake, which you know. It still blows my mind that he's, this character is so aloof. Okay, you know, I have to scratch that because things that happen later on in this film, he's a really fucking aloof fucking character. Like, he doesn't realize everything that's going on around him with him. And from here we go over and we see that he's again with Nikki and they're hanging out at home. And honestly, I don't know why I really even thought about this, but I'm like, Debbie Harry has really small breasts, at least in terms of this film. And if that name is recognizable to you, that's because that's fucking Blondie, okay? If you don't know who Debbie Harry is, and she acted in quite a few films, but I always thought it was weird that this is the only film that I can remember her ever being in, and I'm pretty sure that she probably has some other films that I probably would recognize her from, but she's kind of like that weird, odd horse in this film. Like, (laughs) she's sometimes good in terms of her acting and she's sometimes absolutely terrible like there's just and this is one of those scenes where i kind of feel like she's absolutely terrible because 
they're sitting there, and she's really interested in the whole video drum thing. And she says that she's going to Pittsburgh on assignment. Like, she's going to go there, and she's going to audition for video drum at the same time. Because she's super into this and wants to be a part of this TV show, which, again, is not fucking fake, but they believe it's fucking fake. And then, because oh, I guess she has to get whipped... Like, that's the way that it's gotta be. Like, it's not enough that her now boyfriend here is stabbing her with shit and doing all this other weird, crazy stuff to her that we don't even know. And the fact that she actually wants to be with James Woods is probably also indication that she's kind of fucked up in the head. But it's like, what, what more do you need? Do you really need to have the possibility of dying on TV to fucking excite you to do something for you? So she's going away and she says that she's going to audition for Videodrome while she's there. And so he doesn't really want her to do it. And she proves to him that she can do it by taking a cigarette and burning it on the top of her chest. Like, what? Like, that's the way that you're going to prove that you're okay to be on Videodrome? Like, look, I can handle it. Like, I can burn myself with a cigarette? No, that... That's not a positive way of thinking about things. Why would you fucking do that, you fucking weirdo? And the fact that she burns herself and there's the, like, burn mark slash scar of the cigarette already fucking formed on her chest is really fucking weird. Like, it was that fast. She literally put it down for like a second and all of a sudden, hey, I've got a scar on my chest and that's it. So from here, Max spends the rest of the night with Nikki and in the morning he meets back up with Marsha. And... He's trying again to find out more about the whole video drum situation and who truly is behind it. And she's very reluctant. She does have that information for him, and she's very reluctant to give him the name. You have a Stand up late watching TV. Did you get in touch with our friends in Pittsburgh? In a way, at a distance. A subterranean grapevine. And? Videodrome is something for you to leave alone. It is definitely not for public consumption. <laughs> Channel 83 is a little small to be considered public. It is still too public. Do you understand me? No, what is it? What's the punchline? I think it's dangerous, Max. Videodrome. Why? But it's mafia? They do business. It's more, um, how can I say? More political than that. Come on, Marshall, what are we talking about? Video drone. What you see on that show, it's for real. It's not acting. It's snuff TV. I don't believe it. So, don't believe. Why do it for real? It's easier and safer to fake it. Because it has something that you don't have, Max. It has a philosophy. And that is what makes it dangerous. Whose philosophy? There must be a name. Give me a name I can talk to. Masha, Masha, you know me. I stay away from the scary stuff. are going to have to be nice to me for this we can take a shower together anytime you say <laughs> uh, i'm sure you would be 
be very beautiful. But uh, you're a little older than I prefer. Thank you so much. Sell me a name. And I'll make Apollo and Dionysus part of the package. That hurts me, Max. Hey, the world is shithole, ain't it? Yes, Max. It is. Brian Oblivion. That is the only name I have to give. So before I really get into the whole scene, there was one kind of, I don't want to say it's a goof, but I notice a consistency error. Um, when she is, you see her first, she lights up a cigarette when you see Marsha. That's how the scene actually starts. And then it's burning, 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 and you see it's still burning. Then she goes to light up another one, yet the other cigarette it had just been barely lit, and it was still burning on the side. And when she comes back, she has the original cigarette that she had in her hand. Like it didn't leave. So you have this weird continuity error that just bugged me right when I saw it. But in general, so what Marsha has found out is that Videodrome is not a faked fucking show, but it's real fucking snuff stuff. And that even doesn't seem to phase Max at all. Again, he's still really interested in learning more because he has to know more about this fucking thing. Dude, now the moment that you find that it's real fucking snuff porn, like, that's it. Get out of it. Don't turn this into some 8mm bullshit where you're going to go and try to find more people. Just be done. Just be like, hey, you know what? Okay, I'm done. I don't need to do this. But he's so ingrained in it. And he has such an interest in it. And he constantly, like consumes the Videodrome media that he has to know more about it. And of course, the person that's connected to it happens to be Brian Oblivion, the guy that he that appeared on the TV uh, that appeared on that show along with him where he first met Nikki. So he goes to the church that Brian f- runs uh, to see if he can talk with him. And this place is really weird. See, it's a bunch of, like, homeless derelicts that are inside. And they're all within, like, these little makeshift cubicles, all watching TV. Because he believes that the cathode raid saves, right? So it helps these people become a better cog of the society. Uh, and that's a little better explained when Max meets Bianca and he tries to get a meeting with Brian to which she kind of explains ex- the whole philosophy behind what Brian is doing here. I love the view. You look like them. Like one of Father's derelicts. I think it's a style that's coming back. In their case, Mr. Wren, it's not a style. It's a disease forced on them by their lack of access to the cathode ray tube. You think a few doses of TV are going to help them? Watching TV will help patch them back into the world's mixing board. Absolutely. And I guess you encourage Father's Derelicts to make home movies? The world's mixing board? Professor Oblivion sends video letters all over the world. Is the professor here? I am my father's screen. Once you've told me what this little visit is all about, he may choose to send you a cassette. If he does, which format would you like? If he does, it's going to make conversation a little difficult. My father has not engaged in conversation for at least 20 years. The monologue 
is his preferred mode of discourse. Format. Video drum. Is that a Japanese configuration? You've never heard of it? No. Then there have been serious gaps in your education. Videodrome. Mention it to your father. He may want to have a conversation. <sighs> I love the view. It's really kind of an interesting philosophy that he has. Like, the people that don't have access to the TV, they're pretty much the outsiders of society, right? So they don't have access to current topics and what's kind of going on, the trends and everything, because they don't have access to the TV. And the TV themselves, uh, having them have these doses and coming in and being able to watch it brings them back into society and really gives them some type of a, like outlook on the way life is going for them. So it's kind of a rejuvenation process that also brings them back in at the same time. And it's weird that he won't like show up like she says she's his screen, right? So he's is only seen when he wants to be seen and when, you know, he doesn't even speak with people. He sends monologues out to everybody. So we cut back to later that evening and Max is at home and Max has begun to hear voices in his head from all the people so far that he's been talking with. Torture, murder, mutilation. Video to what you see on that show, it's for real. I'm gonna audition. I was made for that show. It has something that you don't have, Max. It has a philosophy, and that is what makes it dangerous. So while all these words are kind of racing through his head, we see him look over and he unzips a compartment where he's got basically a gun for protection. It's kind of odd. I don't know if he got it before or he has it afterwards or what point he actually obtained it, but now he's got it here and he kind of keeps it with him and he's kind of worried maybe because he is going into this area of it being real and it being a real snuff film that if he gets found out that he's intercepting the signal that maybe something could be done to him. At least that was kind of my interpretation of the whole thing. And then he's interrupted by his assistant who comes and drops off a cassette for him every night. Which, that's what we saw in the beginning of the movie. So this is like his wake-up call. So every time the station starts, he gets his cassette, or when he's going to start his day, she kind of tells him what he's going to be going through. So what we got in the beginning of the film was kind of him taking his directions from the VCR, from the video, or the TV, if you want to put it that way. And that's kind of going to become a theme in just a little bit. And it really is kind of already started to be a theme with the people in Brian's church, right? Because they're basically given the outside knowledge and they're also given a little more control over their lives. And meanwhile, him, this is more controlling his day, right? Like he gets the cassette and he basically plays it right when he wakes up and it tells him everything that he's going to do for the day. Whether or not it's actual truly controlling him, but it's at least telling him and that's how he's getting his messages of what he's going to be doing, right? So he basically, she comes in, she drops off the tape and she starts kind of wandering around because he's acting a little odd. And then he grabs her and just slaps the living shit out of her. Like, slaps her twice really fucking hard. And then reels back and basically starts apologizing to her. But things aren't quite what they seem. Jesus, Max, you scared me. 
hell's wrong with you? I don't know, man. I, I think I'm getting like a rash or something. Uh, what? Are you all right? Brady, I'm, I didn't mean to hit you. Hit me? You didn't hit me. No, no. No, I know I didn't hit you. I mean... <sighs> Do you want me to stay here? Uh... You look awful. Can I get you something? Uh, no, um... No, I'm just, uh... Uh, I'm... Oh, I'm exhausted. I was... I was in a deep sleep when you knocked, and I guess I'm uh, still not out of it. I'll remember to set the timer. Don't worry. You're sure? I'm sure. Are you sure? Yeah. Thanks, Brady. Tomorrow. Max, that other cassette is from the office of Brian Oblivion. I promised I'd hand deliver it directly to you. Will you call me if you need me? So the weird thing that you can't see here that you can see when he's talking in the scene, one of the reasons why I wanted to include it is when he says that he's getting some sort of rash, and that's the reason why he's kind of going crazy, he itches a section in his stomach. And when I first saw the film, I really didn't notice it. I was just trying to pay attention to everything else. And it's kind of nice when you've seen a film before that you can go around and you can kind of like try to look for other things. And this was something that I had never seen. And so it really is a telltale sign of what happens later on in the film. But I don't want to get into that right now, even though, you know, we're spoiling the whole movie. Uh, I want to talk about that when the time comes. So he decides to take Brian's tapes, one of the tapes that he got from him, and decides to play it in his VCR when something odd happens on the tape. The battle for the mind of North America will be fought in the video arena. The video drone. The television screen is the retina of the mind's eye. Therefore, the television screen is part of the physical structure of the brain. Therefore, whatever appears on the television screen emerges as raw experience for those who watch it. Therefore, television is reality, and reality is less than television. Max, I'm so glad you came to me. I've been through it all myself, you see. Your reality is already half video hallucination. If you're not careful, it will become total hallucination. You'll have to learn to live in a very strange new world. I had a brain tumor. And I had visions... I believe the visions caused the tumor and not the reverse. I could feel the visions coalesce and become flesh. Uncontrollable flesh. But when they removed the tumor, it was called Videodrome. I was the... I... I... was... Who's behind it? What do they want? I want you, Max. You. So the surprise here is that Brian has been killed on the video. And what you see, and there's that weird transition, right, that you have, and you can hear it in the audio, is when it goes from it being a part of the tape 
to when it becomes very, very clear that Brian is talking directly to Max. And that is kind of the start of the same hallucinations that Brian had. Now, I can't really talk about it with say without saying that Max is having hallucinations. We've seen it. He's seen a couple of weird things. And especially when he slapped his assistant, and all of a sudden he never actually did that. That's what he just hallucinated in his head that he did, right? Because he just randomly grabs her and just fucking wails on her. And then here... It's just like he's watching the video and the video is explaining kind of what is, you know, he's giving his stupid little monologues that he does. Not stupid, but you know what I mean. And then all of a sudden it breaks into a direct talk to Max. And that's where the hallucination begins. And we see that Brian was killed by somebody and the revelation happens when that somebody takes off the, like the mask or the hooding that it's wearing. And it turns out to be Nikki. And she's the one that killed Brian. Now, this is a hallucination, and it's more or less saying that Videodrome is the one that killed him, right? And so, the fact that he's hallucinating, and he doesn't even get phased by the fact that Brian is actually getting killed on there. He just sees it, and then he's like, well, what does it mean? You know, who who did this? Like, he just right away starts asking questions without being like, oh shit, like, what the hell's going on? It's just like, who is it? You know, it's it's odd. But I get why it's happening because he's got some sort of like mixed reality in there. He's not sure what's real, what's not, and whether or not this happened at the point. Like he wants to know directly, like Brian is going to answer him back. But remember, Brian doesn't have conversations. He just has dialogues with people. So it's weird when he's able to do this. And if he is truly dead, it makes that scene earlier with Rena and her television program even weirder because he was looking like he was looking right at them and then looks back her. It's already a weird scene as it is because, hey, man, there are no cameras that you can see that are focused on the other people so we can see what exactly is going on. He's like looking through the television like and looking at what's going on in the corner. He knows that they're over here. He knows here. And what we're going to learn in a bit makes it even more confusing. Like, how is he able to actually fucking do that? So, it's weird. And it's not as weird as what comes next. And this is probably the weirdest fucking scene in the movie. There's a couple of really weird scenes in this movie. But this is the one that kind of takes the cake for me. And then the ending one kind of is, like, number two. This one... Okay, there's a lot of things. Then you'd be like, well, how come that's not as weird for you? Well, this one, like, Nikki, she's on the TV, and she starts, like, seducing him. Like, And it's like Videodrome seducing him, right? It's not actually her, but using her as a seduction device. Because he wants to become enveloped by the TV. Like, her lips are on the TV. That's all we're really focusing on. And then all of a sudden, it, like, bulges out, like... I don't know. Is it like butt cheeks? Is it like boobs? Like, what is it? But it's something that he motorboats. Like, literally sticks his head in between the two lumps of the TV. And he holds onto it as she's calling for him. And it's just so fucking awkward. It's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to fuck the TV? Like, what exactly is going on? Do I have to see more fucking James Wood's ass and then actually see him, like, go through the motions of, like, getting it on with the TV? Please, please don't tell me any of that. So, it, it's bad enough that he motorboats the TV, but the whole situation is just really odd. And it's really about him being seduced and being pulled in by Videodrome. That's what we're seeing is what's happening. But it's a representation like it's actually her or it's a woman. 
and that's his sexual desire, and it's getting fulfilled by actually becoming almost like he's becoming part of the TV. It could be even more. It could be like an opening and being reborn into it. It, it could be a lot of fucking things, but it's just fucking weird. So after he's watched this cassette that was delivered to him, he goes back over to Bianca and her church. And so he confronts her and he says that I've watched the cassette and they go upstairs and they go further into the whole situation of Videodrome. You watched the cassette? Yeah. And? It changed my life. I'm not surprised. It's dangerous, you know. Because your father admits he's somehow involved with Videodrome? More than that. It bites. Isn't that what you said? What kind of teeth do you think it has? It triggered off a series of hallucinations. Uh, I woke up with a headache. First time ever. No, I, I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. How did you come to be exposed to it? Pirate satellite dish. A an accident. I made some tapes. This is part of my own Videodrome collection. But that tape is just your father sitting at his desk. The tone of the hallucinations is determined by the tone of the tape's imagery. But the Videodrome signal, the one that does the damage, it can be delivered under a test, pattern, anything. Hmm. Damage. The signal induces a brain tumor in the viewer. It's the tumor that creates the hallucinations. Do you let me watch it? I expect them to come to me eventually to hurt me. I thought it might be you. Oh, I realize you're just another victim. Just like father was. Where's your father? I think I better talk to him. He's in there. Okay, so you purposely gave him more brain cancer. Because you thought that he might be the one that's going to go out there to kill you. Okay, I guess it kind of makes sense if you knew exactly what's going on here. And it's just like, hey, might as well defeat my opponents before they have a chance to come and kill me, right? So let's go and give them fucking cancer, like you're fucking Scott from South Park. You are Canadian, by the way. I'm going to give you cancer. You know, you're basically like wishing it upon him, but instead you give him the fucking videotape and there you go. And it's an odd situation. So if... If that tape specifically is Videodrome, if that's one of the Videodrome tapes, is also the one that was used at the television show, was that a Videodrome tape? And again, this is very weird, I know I'm going back to that scene, but he looks around. He like looks to his left, he looks to his right, he stares, he responds. I can get that there's like a pausing, like he knows exactly when to do this, or is this all like cut and split by her? Like, is she rolling video live so that she's able to move him around? But he purposely was like, oh, I'm going to have to be in a situation like this where I can look left or I can look right, right? Or or was that point not a video cassette? Was that truly him on the TV? See, I'm believing that he's been dead this whole time. That's what we're kind of led to believe. And that appearance with him on TV, he was dead and that was just a videotape. So are we all hallucinating at that point? Like, what is going on that that seems so realistic, but he's dead? I, I just don't get it. And so that leads to the next revelation that her father is contained in the next room. This is him. This is all that's left. What are you talking about? Brian Oblivion died quietly on an operating table 11 months ago. The brain problem? The videodrome problem. You have it too. But he was on that panel show with me. On tape? 
He made thousands of them, sometimes three or four a day. I keep him alive as best I can. He had so much to offer. My father helped to create Videodrome. He saw it as the next phase in the evolution of man as a technological animal. When he realized what his partners were going to use it for, he tried to take it away from them. And they killed him. Quietly. At the end, he was convinced that public life on television was more real than private life in the flesh. He wasn't afraid to let his body die. Tell me about my video drum problem. My father knows much more about it than I do. Listen to him. So here you go, have more brain cancer. Luckily, they're malignant tumors. That's what I'm led to believe, at least when you kind of look up more stuff on this. But here, we need to give you more brain tumors so you can have more hallucinations. Because he really felt there was like, like she's saying there's a benevolent way of using Videodrome, right? To open up the mind, become what they later call the new flesh. Whereas his other partners that helped him create it, they have very malevolent needs. And that's why he started kind of breaking away from them and why he ultimately got killed. We don't know necessarily who his partners are, but we're going to learn a little bit more pretty soon. So he goes back over to his apartment, and then he's sitting on the couch shirtless. Why? I don't get why he has to sit on the couch shirtless, but it makes sense in a second. But still, he doesn't. He just has his gun holster on him, and he's got his gun, and then he has this, like, basically looks like an incision wound that runs from his belly button up to about his chest. Like, it's just there, it's been growing, and that's what he was itching earlier. So he pops in one of the cancer tapes and listens to more of what Brian has to say about Videodrome. I believe that the growth in my head, this head, this one, right here, I think that it is not really a tumor. Not an uncontrolled, undirected little bubbling pot of flesh, but... That it is, in fact, a new organ, a new part of the brain. I think that massive doses of videodrome signal will ultimately create a new outgrowth of the human brain, which will produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? <laughs> you can see that, can't you? Okay, so this is, again, where the film kind of loses me. It's an interesting concept, the whole idea that, hey, this is just another evolution in human uh you know, our bodies and our mind, and that, like, is it, like, permanent LSD? Like, we're going to basically hallucinate, and those hallucinations are going to open our mind to something that's brand new, that's better than the current reality that we have, so that's why it's a good thing. Like, basically, you're going to live in a whole new plane of existence when you have this tumor that's given to you by Videodrome. And then, of course, now that, you know, here Max has been exposed to it, you get the weird shit that goes on with it. Like, if the hallucinations, is this hallucination or is this real? Is this really happening to him? Because all of a sudden, like, he starts itching his stomach more and more. And you see him itch it with the gun in there in that scene. And then all of a sudden, his stomach, like, opens up a giant hole that he's itching with. it, And he sticks his hand into his stomach with the gun. And then all of a sudden, he comes out and he's just without the gun. Now, I 
didn't know. <laughs> it's very difficult to be like, oh, God, I know everything about this film. But I'm like, okay, there has to be some significance of what's going on here. And there's a lot of different theories. But the biggest theory out there that I kind of believe and I kind of understand is that it's like him accepting the violence, right? And that the violence is now a part of him. So he takes the gun, which is a very violent killing weapon, uh, and he shoves it into his body, and now it becomes one with him. Because when he pulls out his hand, the gun's gone, and it's like he's got a new fucking prison wallet, and he's fucking hiding his, uh, you know, his shit inside there. Because if he gets arrested, then now he can just reach into his stomach, grab the gun, and fucking rule the prison. Some shit like that. But it's very odd and awkward. Like, I wouldn't necessarily get that, and I didn't necessarily get that upon first viewing. I just thought, oh, wow, this is really weird. Like, that's all you see. But the significance of it, it makes sense. That's the one that makes the most sense to me. Other than that, hey, this is just another place we're going to holster a weapon that we're possibly going to use later on in the film. So once the, all the weirdness has kind of gone away, he gets a call from Barry Convex, who happens to be the owner of Spectacular Optical Corporation, who is also one of the producers of Videotrome. And he says, hey, I'd like to meet up with you. I'm going to send a car for you. And so the car comes, and he gets in the back seat. And of course, you know, this is why I'm saying he's so aloof. Like, you know that the producers of Videodrum or somebody from Videodrum killed Brian, right? And whether you believe that it's because he was good or evil or whatever, but you know that somebody did, yet you're going to find like, hey, guess what? I'm another producer of Videodrum, and I'd like to come and, hey, you know, maybe let's go ahead and talk or some shit like that. Oh, okay, let me go get in the car and let's go drive to you. And while he's driving, he gets a video from Barry. Please direct your attention to the television set in front of you, Mr. Wren. Mr. Convex has recorded a little introduction for you. Hi. I'm Barry Convex, Chief of Special Programs, and I'd like to invite you into the world of Spectacular Optical, an enthusiastic global corporate citizen. We make inexpensive glasses for the Third World and missile guidance systems for NATO. We also make video drone max. And as I'm sure you know, when it's ready for the marketplace, things will never be quite the same again. It can be a giant hallucination machine and much, much more. But it's not ready. Those were test transmissions you picked up. We thought nobody could tap into them. It's good that Harlan... Good pirate. Well, now that you have, I think we ought to have a little talk, don't you? I thought maybe... My place? So he drives him over to one of the spectacular optical places, and then that's where they meet for the first time. And it's kind of a weird situation in how the whole scene sets itself up. Because he goes inside, and then Max is looking at all the different frames, and like, ooh, look, glasses. And then he puts on a really weird pair, and that's when Barry walks out. And they kind of have a weird chit-chat together before they go into the back. Again, I don't know why Max is not being more apprehensive than he actually is in the scene. 
You know that this thing has gone and killed somebody, possibly killed more people. You don't know where the fuck Nikki is. She all of a sudden showed up on one of the hallucinations that you had. But does that mean she's alive? Is she dead? What's fucking going on? Is she involved with this whole situation? You don't fucking know. But yet you're okay with going into this back room and talking with this guy when he tells you he's going to use a device to record your hallucinations. Here she is. This is our prototype. This is the little number that started it all. Max, I would like you to try this on for size. I would like to use this machine to record one of your hallucinations. Now, then I would like to take that tape back with me to home base for analysis. Well, so I get to keep the copyright? I mean, I hate to see it show up as a movie of the week and not get paid for it. <laughs> Max, I'm trying to help you. What makes you think I need help, Barry? None of our test subjects has returned to normality. They're all in need of intensive psychiatric care. Now, you seem to be functioning reasonably well so far. I'd like to find out why. And I think an analysis of one of your hallucinations would be the right place to start. You. you might catch yourself sliding in and out of a hallucinatory state after this is all over. If you do, just relax and enjoy it. It'll soon go away. But for now, I think that you'll find a little S&M will be necessary to trigger off a good, healthy series of hallucinations. That's why our Videodrome show is so strange. Something to do with the effects of exposure to violence in the nervous system. It opens up receptors in the brain and the spine, and that allows the videodrome signal to sink in. You mean I'm going to have to hurt you, Barry? Afraid not. You don't have to actually hurt anybody. You just have to think about it. So he puts the whole goddamn thing on top of his head. Like, again, really, you can't tell that this guy is probably not good news. Like, the whole situation that's going on here, people have died. Again, I can't believe I have to keep repeating myself with this shit. But honestly, you can't figure this out. This is why the, Max is so fucking stupid. Like, the whole situation leading up to here is so fucking stupid. Because there's no reason for Max to be like, Oh, okay, yeah, I'm totally gonna put on this thing, and you're gonna force me to see more hallucinations. You're gonna wa- make me watch more S&M fucking videos. I'm going to have to do all this shit because you want to record? Fine, you're going to record my hallucinations. Great. And that's where it starts the next set. And it's just like, again, what the fuck? If you go and he's in the room. He's in the Videodrome room. And then he sees Nikki there. And Nikki's like, it's time. And hands him a whip. And you've got to whip me. And then all of a sudden she's in the TV. And he's whipping the TV. And the TV's like moving around. But then when they pan away when he really starts getting into it and he's really doing the whipping it turns into Marsha instead and he's actually whipping Marsha but Marsha's being whipped on the TV not necessarily by him who's whipping the TV itself so like what the fuck is going on (laughs) I just don't Oh, like, what does this represent other than, like, he's being controlled once again? Like, 
He thinks that he's just hallucinating this, but he's obviously doing it at the same time. And he kind of thinks so, too, because, well, when he wakes up, he kind of knows so. Because Marsha is there all tied up and in his bed. And so his first response is to call Harlan and to get him there to try to take pictures of what's going on. He does show up and he goes, uh, you know, reluctantly into the bedroom. He's like, go in there and take pictures of whatever's in my bed. And there's absolutely nothing there. Which prompts Harlan to wonder whether or not Max is actually on drugs. Max, are you in some kind of drug warp? I've got friends who can help. Bridie said she came by a couple of days ago. You Did were... you take video drone last night? Yeah, if it was transmitted, the machine would have caught it. I'll meet you in the lab in one hour. I want to see it. Jeez, Max, it's not even seven hours. Oh, I am not just things. fucking around. Do you understand me? Oh, fuck you. I'm not just some fucking servo mechanism you can switch on and off. You want me to fall out of bed and run around like an asshole? You tell me what I'm doing it for. No. Otherwise, I'll see you during office hours, yeah, patrol. No. Harlan, you're right. It's momentum. I'm running like an express train here. I don't know how to stop. Look, I'll meet you in the lab in one hour, okay? And then uh, we'll see if we pulled in any video drone last night, and I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, everything, I promise. Okay? Hey, I'm sorry if I freaked out on uh, patrol. I don't work with you for the money. I know that. With pirates, it's never just for the money, is it? <laughs> you want a cup of coffee? No, look, I'll meet you in the lab in an hour. So it's kind of odd when you look at this situation that happens here that he's so trusting of what Harlan is doing. And he did call him in that one scene earlier one of the best pirates. Like, we're surprised that you got our signal. and Well, Harlan's one of the best. But why would you call Harlan and be like, hey, come on over to my apartment and take pictures of possibly the dead lady that's in the bed? Probably because he introduced him to the video drum signal and he's worried that maybe he has the same type of reaction. Like, he goes from, like, 10 to 1 really fucking quick because he's like, no, I'm not doing anything, nothing wrong. Okay, you want to get some coffee? You want some coffee? No, I'll meet you over there, right? Like, he really wants to learn more about what's kind of going on because everything is just kind of fucked up in his head and he has no idea what could possibly happen, and because he saw Marsha in the bed with him, he's worried that he was a part of the Videodrome program after all. So he goes over to Harlan's pirate studio, and then confronts him and tries to find out if he was actually on there last night. Did you look at the tape? Did you see me on Videodrome? There was no tape. There was no Videodrome transmission last night? Not last night. Not ever. What, what, what are you talking about? I'm out of my depth now, Patron. I had to bring in the reinforcements. Max? An intriguing combination. <laughs> Very interesting. Don't let me interrupt. I think I was saying something like, what are you talking about? I was playing your tapes, Max. Pre-recorded cassettes. Videodrome has never been transmitted on an open broadcast circuit. Not yet. I guess Barry sent you here, what, two years ago? It has been two years, hasn't it, Harlan? Two, two wonderful years. Why? Get you involved. 
expose you to the video drone signal. It didn't affect you because you never watched it. You knew it was there. You didn't have to see it. It really does work on just about anybody. Anybody who watches it, Max. But why would anybody watch it? Why would anybody watch a scum show like Videodrome? Why did you watch it, Max? Business reasons. Sure. Sure. What about the other reasons? Why deny you get your kicks out of watching torture and murder? You murdered Brian Oblivion, didn't you, you freak? Did you enjoy that? Okay, so why is he surprised when the... It, and it's really hard because, like, kind of the voices all kind of sound the same except for James Woods. But when he goes to Harlan, right, and he confronts him, Barry is there, right? And that's the second voice that you hear. You know, there is a little bit of an accent to Harlan, but then all of a sudden the Patron stuff goes fucking away. And he just talks like a normal person. And he's, like, totally surprised, like, that this is turned around. It's 180. When he, when he realizes, he's like... Oh my God, you made me watch it. Like, why did you do it? Because I wanted to use you as a test subject. So let's go further in into what is going on and then also what Max is becoming. North America is getting soft, Patron, and the rest of the world is getting tough. Very, very tough. We're entering savage new times and we're going to have to be pure and direct and strong if we're going to survive them now you and this uh, cesspool you call a television station and uh, your people who wallow around in it and uh, your viewers who watch you do it you're rotting us away from the inside we intend to stop that rot we're going to start with Channel 83, Max. We're going to use it for our first authentic transmissions of Videodrome. I have a hunch it's going to be very popular. For a while. I've got to be hallucinating now, right? I mean, <laughs> you two can't possibly be for real. Uh, we did record your hallucinations, Max. As I said, we would. And we did analyze them. You're ready for something new. That's terrific. What do you want? What do you want from me? I want you to open up, Max. Open up to me. Okay, so there's a couple of things that's going on. We'll talk about the big thing that happens at the end, but I want to talk about the basic idea behind Videodrome, right? So it's a service that's being broadcast upon the television waves, and basically it appeals to the lowlifes and the creeps that really get their rocks off on watching the violence and sex and everything that we normally would. And with those people, it gives them a tumor. Right. And it gives them a fatal tumor. So if you are susceptible to the and you're one of those quote unquote low lives, then you will die. Basically, we're going to kill you off. You're the worst scum of society or you're the lowest part of society. And we're just going to get rid of you because we don't need you anymore. Right. Whereas the other people that are 
relatively good, they'll ascend up, I guess. I don't know. It's it's just whoever decides that, I guess, to watch it. Like, what it feels like is that if, say, you or me, right, maybe you're not the scum of society. I know I'm not the scum of society. Maybe you are. Shit, you like listen to this? That's good for you. I don't care. I'm not going to try to kill you with a fucking podcast signal or patiodrome or some shit. That really sounds awful, by the way. Uh, but, um... If somebody is interested in seeing that, that automatically qualifies them for the lowest of society. That's the way I kind of view this, right? It's not that it's going to be... His television station is such low-end, and it only appeals to the base levels of society. That's why they're going to use his TV station as kind of the barometer of what's going on. So, if you like this type of crap, then we're going to kill you. So... This is going to be the test pilot station to kill a bunch of people and to make sure that Videodrome works. Now, he's one of those people that isn't in that base level society. So what can be done with him? Well, he can be manipulated. See, his stomach has basically turned into like a VHS player or a VCR as it was known back in the day. Uh, and he, they take out a tape. Barry takes out this tape that's like breathing living and it's like a, it's like a conversion tape or like a control tape, right? It's basically going to be inserted, well, it does get inserted into Max, and it starts changing his psyche so that Barry can have control over him. And the whole idea of everything was basically, I think, to originally just kill him off so that way they could determine, oh, the signal works, or at least keep him alive and to the point where he's going to broadcast Videodrome to the masses. So now that he's under the control of Barry and Harlan, they instruct him to go back to his offices and kill his other partners so that way they can start taking over everything. Which he honestly does. And there's a really cool scene right before he goes back to the building where he reaches in and he grabs the gun out of his stomach. It's not that. It's how the gun actually forms to his hand and becomes a part of him. See, now he's become an assassin for this whatever corporation that Barry and Harlan are a part of. And so it's now, it like, you see it actually, like, graft into his arm and it looks... Part of it looks like the lady from Captain EO. You, you know the one if you've seen Captain EO before. When she comes down, she's got all the pieces on her. She used to be the beautiful lady, but now she's like, Oh, you think me beautiful? And it, like creepy shit and whatever. But that's what it kind of looks like when it forms into his arm. And so he then goes on his rampage with now his gun hand. And he goes to his offices, and the first thing he does when he gets in there is he kills one of the other guys uh, that are one of the part owners of Channel 83. And then he turns the gun on the other guy, and he shoots and he kills him. Now, there's all this commotion that happens. The gunshots are really fucking loud. Like, how do you not know that somebody is firing a fucking gun in this place, and you don't freak out when you hear the first fucking gunshot? No, you don't do it until everybody's fucking killed, and then all of a sudden, oh my god, Max, are you okay? And he shoves his gun hand underneath his coat, like, oh, this is gonna prove that I didn't do anything, and his assistant tries to lead him somewhere while they try to figure out who's done all the killing, yet the only person that was in there was him. Right? There's no other windows, like, no sign that somebody was trying to leave. It's obviously that it was going to be him, and nobody tries to stop him. In fact, his assistant helps him get away. Now, he manages to run out of the building and escapes in front of his assistant, by the way. 
And then he gets another message from Barry telling him that he needs to go and he needs to kill Bianca because she's like the last thing that's kind of standing in their way. So he breaks into the church where she's at and we get kind of a creepy like stalking scene when finally Max catches up to Bianca and he acts like this is the very first time that they've met. Bianca Oblivion. I run Civic TV. I was on a talk show with your father. So it was to be you after all. You've come to kill me. No. No, I'm Max Wren. I run Civic TV. I don't... I don't kill people. Oh, but you do. You're an assassin now. A video drone. They can program you. They can play you like a videotape recorder. They can make you do what they want. And they want you to destroy whatever is left of Brian Oblivion. They want you to destroy me. And at that point, he, like, gets the gun out, but he just points at her and she casually walks away. Like, he's the most shitty assassin if this is what they're going to use for an assassin here. Because he doesn't hide the fact that he's there to kill her. Like, they don't... I don't know, like, what the whole situation is. Like, here's the part of the cassette. I guess what he's hearing is what's inside the cassette that's playing inside of his body, right? Because he didn't get a reload of a cassette. Once he finished the first part, then the next part plays and is like, now I gotta go kill Bianca. And you would think that maybe they would use his memories in some way that, hey, you know, I visited him a couple times. Pretend that, hey you know, you're in trouble and you need her help and then fucking kill her, but not go in there and be like, hey, you know, I was on a TV show with your father one of these times and, uh, you know, we've never met before and I kind of need your help, blah, blah, blah. Like, of course she's going to see through that shit. Like, you wouldn't know this shit already. It makes no fucking sense to me. And then when he pulls out the gun, she just casually walks away. She doesn't fucking, like, stay there, you know, or, or run, or he doesn't fucking even try to fucking shoot. What's the point in having a fucking gun hand or gun hidden inside your fucking prison wallet that you're not going to shoot anybody? Like, you're supposed to be an assassin and you can't even kill anybody. All you can do is chase her down. So he does chase her down. He ends up in a situation where, with all the little weird makeshift cubicles that they've made, he thinks that she's behind this wall. So he tears down the wall and what's behind there is actually video of Nikki and how she was killed by Videodrome, which breaks the control that Barry and Harlan have over Max. They killed her, Max. They killed Nikki Brand. She died on Videodrome. They used her image to seduce you, but she was already dead. Don't back away. I stole it from them just for you to see. Okay, so how did Bianca steal from Videodrome? Like, did she have some type of intercept? Because they're not broadcasting anything right now that I know of, right? They're going to use Channel 83 and Civic TV to actually do this, but they haven't done anything lately. So did she, like, break into it? Where's that scene? I would love to see her go on fucking stealth and shit, or is she using, like, the derelicts to go in there and break in and fucking get them? Like, I don't get it. I don't know what exactly she did to get the tape, but seeing the fact that Nikki has died does break everything away and break all that control that Barry and Harlan have over Max. And it's a weird scene once again. I know, a movie filled with weird scenes, but 
you have like the gun actually come out of the TV set, the one that's like basically on his hand, and it shoots him three times. But this is symbolic of him actually shooting the TV screen because when it goes back over and shows you the TV after Max has been shot, you see a man's chest on there with three bullet holes around where his stomach is, and that supposedly symbolizes that he's no longer under control and that he realizes that he must defeat Videodrome. Well, actually, you know what happens to him? He's no longer under Barry and Harlan's control, but he's under Bianca's control now. That's better. So much better. It's always painful to remove the cassette. To change the program. But now that we have, you'll see that you've become something quite different from what you were. You've become the video word made flesh. I am the video word made flesh. The video word made flesh. You know what you have to do. You turn against Videodrome. You use the weapons they've given you to destroy them. Death to Videodrome. Long live the new flesh. Okay, so she truly didn't break Videodrome's hold over him. She basically is just using it now to get rid of Barry and Harlan. And that's exactly what he is now set out to do. And there's a weird scene where you have one of the derelicts that's in front of the spectacle place. And basically the TV is going on and it's talking about how it, you know you need to find Max because Max has gone out and he's killed his associates. And meanwhile, he's standing in there right next to this derelict bum guy. And it's like, he's like, Hey, aren't you going to give me some money for fucking watch my TV? Not even seeing his fucking image there and being like, fuck, aren't you the same guy that I'm looking at here? You're more worried about him getting fucking paid for watching your television. Who fuck you can watch it in a fucking like shop window or some shit like that. You don't have to fucking watch it from a bum and pay him. You're not paying the electricity that that thing is using there unless you film how fucking jimmy rigged this thing so that way you've got some little fucking conductor that you're doing with like a piece of graphite and like a battery or some shit like that and then you're powering this fucking tv no why should he pay you anything for something that you can't even fucking recognize that the guy that's on your goddamn tv is standing right next to you and is wanted for fucking murder oh so he goes in <laughs> to the optometry place he looks around, he figures his way into the back. We see a lot of people that are uh, kind of, mid, I would say, low-class people uh, buying cheap glasses there. And he goes in the back and he runs into Harlan. He looks around and then he starts confronting him and talking to him basically about what's gone with Bianca. And Harlan assumes that, hey, you want another mission. Where's convicts? Oh, Setting up this trade show. I'd introduce the spring line. What's in the box? Your head. <laughs> Got your head in this box. <laughs> a bit busy, Max. Been reading about you in the papers. Hmm. Have you been to see Bianca Oblivion? I saw her. And she give you any trouble? No. Oh. 
Maybe you'd like to visit somebody else now. Is that why you're here? Maybe. You've been very useful to us, Max. We'd like to keep using you until you're all gone. Open up to me. And now what happens is probably one of the coolest scenes in the movie, at least the coolest effects that I can think of. I, I think every all the effects in this film are fantastic. Everything is practical. It looks great. I really would love to watch like more of a making of or like how they actually got the things to do, like the TV and uh, the stretching that it does and still keeping the video on there. Like it looks great. I really, really enjoy that part of the film. And even like the effect of this one where Harlan, he has a new cassette for him, but this time it's like a flesh cassette. And he, when he goes to stick it in him, like he, you know, he opens up just like he did for Barry. He sticks in the tape and then he can't get his arm back. And what he's done is he's actually transformed Harlan's hand into like a grenade which freaks him the fuck out. It would me too. At first I thought it was like, cause it's all bloody and you think it'd be like a bone, but he basically forms his hand into a goddamn grenade. And then when he pulls out and he starts walking away, he basically blows up uh, and blows up inside the back of the optics place. So Max leaves here and, and then he goes after Barry like he's been instructed to by Bianca. And we go to this presentation or I guess this trade show, which is some of the weirdest fucking shit that I've seen, okay? I've not seen a trade show like this, especially for glasses. They're basically handing out glasses like they're fucking cigars in a nightclub. Ooh, would you like to see these? That's not how it fucking works. You gotta know what your fucking measurements of your eyes are before you can even get fucking glasses. Like, and especially your PD... Okay, I don't want to get started into that shit and that bullshit that optometrists won't let you fucking know. But... Nonetheless, they're like, oh, would you like a pair of these? Would you like a pair of these? Like, are they all fucking reading glasses? What are they? Or are they just frames? They're just giving you frames and you're going to go take them out somewhere? Okay, maybe I get that. But then there's some fucking weird fucking dancing. Like, the weirdest thing in this movie are these fucking dancers. Where the fuck did they come from? There's no reason for them to be here other than to be totally gaudy. So... Out comes Barry, and Barry starts giving his speech about, man, I see you guys out there, and we're going so far into the future, and he's all happy and everything, and that triggers Max. And so Max turns around and gets on stage once Barry finishes his speech, and then points his gun, and nobody in the audience is fucking paying attention that there's a guy with some weird flesh gun on his fucking hand Pointing it at Barry, Barry is going fucking crazy, and then Barry gets shot about four times from this flesh gun, and Max just runs out of the room. Now, you get one of the weirdest and coolest looking deaths besides what happened to Harlan, but, like, instead of just being shot, like, Barry devolves into, like, pieces of flesh like it's some akira type of shit that's going on here he's got all these weird like little tentacles that pop out and like he just like he melts and it looks awesome and i just was like why why doesn't he just die why why is he the only one that like dies like this after being shot like the people that got killed at max killed in the office it was just like bullets that killed him but here he like goes into like full-on monster death mode so max runs away and he's got to go hide somewhere so he finds a shipyard that has a bunch of empty containers and he finds uh solace in one of the containers and then as he sits down he looks around and he sees one last familiar face i was hoping you'd be back i'm here to guide you max 
I've learned a lot since I last saw you. I've learned that death is not the end. I can help you. I don't know where I am now. I'm having trouble. Finding my way around. That's because you've gone just about as far as you can with the way things are. Videodrome still exists. It's very big, very complex. You've hurt them, but you haven't destroyed them. To do that, you have to go on to the next phase. What phase is that? Your body has already done a lot of changing. But that's only the beginning. The beginning of the new flesh. You have to go all the way now. A total transformation. Do you think you're ready? I guess I am. How do we do it? To become the new flesh, you first have to kill the old flesh. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to let your body die. Just come to me, Max. So that's when the TV screen that he's now watching or they hallucinating shows him on the screen and he holds the gun up to his head, says long live the new flesh and then blows his brains out. And that destroys the TV where all these weird like organs and guts and stuff just fly out of the TV and explode. And, it's weird that he's kind of gotten himself into this situation. I mean, he goes from, like, nice, lush apartment to Videodrome and hobo surroundings, and that's where he's going to basically end his life. So he turns, or the camera turns on him, I should say, and then he gets up. Instead of standing like he does in the video, he gets down on his knees, and he points the flesh gun at his head. We get one last line, a gunshot, and the movie ends. So that was Videodrome. It's a very, it's a very interesting movie. And honestly, I'm right in the middle about it. I think I liked it a lot more when I first saw it. And it was probably because I was really trying to dissect it. Where this time I was really trying to watch it. I wasn't trying to do it for a class. I wasn't trying to really get into it. Like, 
being very superfluous about it and trying to really dig deep into it, but I just wanted to watch the film. And the film, just kind of like the way the podcast seems to work some of the times, it starts off very slow, and it kind of just builds to the point about 40 minutes in, and then all of a sudden it feels like it's a sprint getting to the end. I would have liked to see a lot more of the ending part, maybe even make this a little bit of a longer film, because it's only about an hour and 26 minutes, 29 minutes, I think, if you do the credits with it. So there was a lot more that I would have liked to have seen, like him fighting back or, you know, like I said, Bianca actually going and stealing and and what she has more to do with it rather than, oh, I'm a negative influence on Videodrome and so that's why I have to be killed. It's just, it's a very interesting and kind of middle-of-the-road film for me. I wish I could like it a lot more than some people do, but I don't hate it as much as others do. So I'm just, like... Stumped. I just think that, like, Max's character is stupid. Like, I just feel that he is just such a dumb character, even though he's interesting, but he just gets pulled into this so quickly, he's so hypnotized by it, and then he can't put two and two together with everything that's kind of weirdly happening around him. Like, he wants a solution for it, but at the same time, he doesn't realize that something bad could really happen to him if he goes with the people that are acting like they're trying to help him, when they're really not. It's just dumb. And it seems like that those parts kind of go a little further. I would like to know more about what the relationship between Brian and uh, Barry exactly was. If Barry is one of the producers of it, uh, you know, or did he steal it from him and he was one of the ones that was going to use it for malevolent means? Does it affect everybody that watches it? Or, like, Barry, can those people be turned into slaves that aren't affected by the actual signal? So, like, he and uh, Brian, both of those guys were able to live with it and basically evolved to the new flesh, which is more like a... I don't want to give this like a lawnmower man type of situation here, but that's kind of like... You look at these two films, right? And some things are similar, where he just wanted to be a part of... Uh, when he became part of the net or the system, you know, that was his evolution to where he could go do whatever he wants to. And this is them becoming a part of the video or the TV Um and it's more of a talk about like VCRs and video in that way than it is actual television. So becoming part of that network and living on through that, which is the new flesh. So I'm so torn. Like I want to like parts of this film. I don't like other parts in terms of just the practical effects. I'm in love with it. They, they are some of the best that you'll watch ever. They are creepy at the same time that they are cool and disgusting. It is really well done and is worth it just to watch for those scenes. But your overall generalized acting is pretty bad in this film. James Woods is probably the best part. But even with his character being so stupid, I just can't really get into Max. And the other characters are just kind of like throwaway characters. I feel like, you know, maybe Nikki could have been involved even more in Hallucinations than she was. That she just suddenly disappears and she just pops up from here to there. The fact that, you know, even though he breaks from the whole situation uh, of being under control, at least from Barry, he still is being used. So Bianca isn't as benevolent as everybody else is because she's just using him the same way. But then he's only able to break himself. Or is it Bianca planting that hallucinated? 
like hallucination inside of him to make sure that he kills himself so that he can't be used for malevolent purposes if somebody else takes over Videodrome. I don't really know, and it's not really explained, so I wish there was more there. So, if we have to rate this film, I would give the gore in this film a 4 out of 5. I, like I said, I really like the effects. There's some really gory parts into it. The makeup for his hand when it's a gun looks great, especially for 1983. Uh, I'm just in love with a lot of the stuff that gets done there. And Cronenberg is always very good with his gore and his violence in his films. Uh, Crap Factor is a 3 out of 5. I just felt like the female characters were poor, poorly acted. Debbie Harry, I'm sorry. I love Blondie, but you're acting. It's not my cup of tea. Uh, even the lady that played Bianca, she's very fucking boring. Um, and, and most of the other characters outside of James Woods, pretty fucking boring. So it's right there in the middle. Uh, fun factor, again, it's a three out of five. I think the themes, when they especially applied to modern day, uh, you know, things going on, I think they're very interesting. If you were to, if anybody was ever to try to remake this, which I don't believe anybody should, but if they were, it would be definitely focused on our digital age that we have now in our multimedia age that we're living in and you can transpose that pretty well and you can take it or leave it whichever way you want to go with it um but i think that it has some strong messages that we all could kind of learn from so i, I give it a three out of five for the fun factor um because like i said the be- beginning is a little too slow and for me it's but once it picks up you know i'm not mad that i watched it again i'm not bored um, I was, uh, it held my attention all the way through. So that's always a good sign for a film. So overall, I'm going to rate this three out of five bloody grenade hands. Um, it, again, I think it's a, it's a good film. It's something that I think everybody should watch at least once and make your own opinion of the film and then decide whether, you know, if it's just not for you, at least you've seen it and you know what people have been talking about when it comes to Videodrome. It just sucks that it's not really on any type of streaming service unless you're going to rent it somewhere. I would really have loved to seen that readily available. Maybe at some point we'll see them. Or, you know what, it's worth the $2.99 rental, I think, if you've never seen it before, just to get an idea of it. I'm pretty sure it's available on YouTube in one of those weird, like, box-within-a-box-within-a-box type videos, so that you could watch it for free if you really wanted to. But really, I would just pay the rental fee. Or if you get, like, one of those times where it turns out as part of, like, a 99-cent rental or something like that, go ahead and do it. Or, if you happen to have a video store or something in your area that still fucking exists for some reason, go rent it. You could probably get it relatively inexpensive to rent it for a night and then watch it and be done with it. So, um, what are we doing next? Now, I said we'd get back into the, the shit again. And I've kind of gone away. We've went, done a lot of little kitty movies. We've done some really good movies and some terrible movies. But I really want to look at something that's more modern. And, you know, I was thinking to myself... What could we possibly see? Maybe uh, a franchise that came over from something else, like it was Americanized, then it had one really good film and one kind of meh film, and then people haven't been thinking about it for a while, and then all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, there is uh, you know, a random sequel. Oh, fuck, I'm going to be watching Rings, aren't I? You're not real! You're not real.
come on, we gotta get up. <laughs> I keep thinking about this story. There's this video that kills you seven days after you watch it. The second it's over, the phone rings. And this boy says... That's when she's coming for me. You want to know about the girl in the well. What does she want from me? This mark on your hand, it says rebirth. So that's right, we are watching Rings. Now, I happened upon it on Amazon Prime because I was looking for Unlisted Owner, which Phantom Dark Dave recommended that I watch, and uh, it happened to be the movie that popped up right as, like, recommendations for you to watch, and I was like, shit, I was waiting for that to hit video, and guess what? It's free on Amazon Prime right now, so if you have Amazon Prime at the time of this podcast, go watch the movie come back if you haven't seen it i really like the first ring u.s version uh the second one was just kind of off the wall Eh, so let's see what happens with this one right (laughs) what could possibly go wrong except for that somebody said in the twitter comments not the twitter comments but the youtube comments for the trailer that half of this trailer is not even the movie great (laughs) i look forward to that i'm gonna get fucking seagulled again aren't i so Without further ado, you can always find the podcast. It is on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast. I communicate mostly through there, but you can also go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast. You can go onto the uh, Instagram page at terrible terror podcast, where I'm trying to use Instagram TV to do a quick, like 10 minute movie reviews of some of the movies that I've seen out in the theaters that I don't think necessarily warrant a podcast uh, type of you know, whole thing is maybe later it would get one. So I also want to thank Ben for the suggestion of video drone. Make sure you go check out the angry dad podcast that is available out there on places. Just like you can find my podcast, uh, Apple podcasts, Spreaker, stitcher. We're all trying to get on fucking Spotify. One of these days will be there. So with that said, uh, please rate and review the podcast on those platforms. Go check out angry dad podcast and we'll see you next time.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.